Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. The fifth chapter is where we are as we're moving through this book chapter by chapter, noticing that Paul gives us identity markers, who we are as believers in each of these chapters as he writes this letter. Today we're talking about the fact that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here's the key concept this morning. In Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Let him have all of you. Ephesians chapter 5, 5 is where we'll be in just a moment, but uh, if you're a person of a certain age, you will know exactly what I'm referring to when I say the next sentence. In fact, I'm confident that I actually don't have to complete the sentence. I'm going to say half of the sentence. You complete it. This is the audience participation portion of our presentation, and then you tell me what I'm talking about, okay? Here's half of the sentence. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, <laughs> and what are we talking about? Alka-Seltzer, right. Now, I don't think that commercial has been on the air for years, and still, you know exactly how it goes and what it's all about. That's the power of advertising. But use that image of Alka-Seltzer, the Alka-Seltzer tablets that you open up and you put in the, the water and the medicine fizzes and so forth. Imagine for a moment that you're not feeling well, you have a headache and you find Alka-Seltzer in your medicine cabinet and you decide that that's what you're going to use. But instead of unwrapping the tablets, you put the, the, the Alka-Seltzer case and covering and all into the water. Now, obviously, it's not going to work. It's not going to be doing its job. Technically, the, the Alka-Seltzer is in the cup, in the water. But there's a barrier between the medicine and the water, so the water can't engage that medicine. Now, in the same way, all believers have the Holy Spirit within. But in our passage today, we're going to see that Paul starts there with the fact that we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and he asks for more. He says, don't just settle for having the Spirit within. Let the Spirit have all of you be filled with the Spirit. It's taking away that wrapping, taking away that barrier, whatever is the hindrance to the Spirit overwhelming and influencing our lives. So let's See how he puts it in Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin our reading in verse 17. Follow along. It says this, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is allowing the Holy Spirit of God to have access of, to every part of who you are to every aspect of your being in your life. Imagine the power and the joy that would be yours if the Holy Spirit had perfect mastery over your life. And I'm not talking about power to do human things, but rather power to do what God wants you to do, power to live the godly life you're called to, power to use the spiritual gifts that you've been given to bless others and to glorify God. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. This is his ministry. But before we concentrate on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you a little bit about the identity of the Holy Spirit, who he is, because I find as I talk to Christians that sometimes there's confusion about this fact. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of God. 
He is not a force. He is not an impersonal power. The Holy Spirit is not heavenly electricity. The Holy Spirit is God, part of the Trinity of God. We see in the Bible the attributes of God attributed to the Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lie about the offering that they brought to the early church, the Apostle Peter says, you've lied to God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as a part of the Trinity, has a role of ministry that he's responsible for. And there's actually three parts to that, to that role. And the initial work of the Holy Spirit actually happens to you prior to you coming to know Christ as personal Savior. Prior to knowing Christ as personal Savior, when you hear the gospel message, it is the Spirit that brings conviction to our hearts, whispers the words, you need that. You need to pay attention to that. Jesus explains that initial ministry in John chapter 16 to the apostles. He explains it this way. He says, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, in verse 8, that word convict means to bring to light or to expose. So when Jesus, Jesus says, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes, he's going to expose something. And what is he going to expose? Well, he says three things. He's going to expose sin, righteousness, and judgment. Specifically, he's going to expose the reality of sin, the possibility of righteousness, and the certainty of judgment if we do not respond to the gospel call. These are the realities that are brought, uh, brought to light uh, in the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And when a person hears the message of the gospel, it is that convicting work that causes that person to repent and to turn to Jesus in faith. This is the initial work of the Spirit. He is the one that prompts us to say yes to the gospel. And when we do say yes to Jesus and turn to him in faith, it is the Spirit who works the work of regeneration in our heart, making us new. We, look, we looked at that last week. But if you remember last week, I used the verse from Titus chapter 3. It describes the work, the second work of the Spirit this way. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, when you turn to Jesus in faith, it is the grace of God that saves you. Your faith is, so to speak, the conduit for that grace of God invading your life. But it is the Holy Spirit who is the agent of that grace. He is the one who comes in and works the work of renewal. And when he works that work of renewal, immediately the third work of the Holy Spirit happens, and that is he takes up residence. He indwells us. The Spirit enters your life and takes up residence, and we call that moment when he enters your life and he takes up residence, we call that the baptism of the Spirit. And it is that baptism of the Spirit, that entry work, that re renewal work that brings us into the family of God. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul's there describing the indwelling of the Spirit. He says you, He is in you. And he's not writing this just to the spiritual elite. He's not writing it to those who seem to have it all together. He's not writing those words to those Christians who can use Christian jargon in everyday speech, somehow separating themselves from the whole. He's writing that to all who believe in Christ. In fact, to Corinth, which was a troubled church with troubled people, but yet in the family of God, he says, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And what does it mean to say that the Holy Spirit lives in us? Well, it's not a physical thing. There's no compartment in your pancreas where the Spirit goes. He'll never show up on an x-ray or an ultrasound. It is a spiritual indwelling. The third person of the Trinity of God dwells within, near to your innermost person. It's a union on the deepest level of who you are. And since Trinity means three in one and one in three, the Spirit's residence within you is also the way that Jesus is in you. In, four, in John 14, 20, Jesus is speaking, and He says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Present together. In human terms, we refer to people we love as being in our hearts. It's an emotional union. I may not, we not be with them. We may be separated by many, many miles, but they're in our hearts because we love them. But our union with God goes even deeper than that. It's not just emotional. It contains emotions, yes, but it is a spiritual union of the essence of who you are with the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. And this indwelling, in this role, the Spirit has purposes in mind for you. He indwells us so that He can be our heartfelt counselor. In fact, He's called the counselor throughout Scripture. He indwells us because, so that He can be our seal, the indication of our ownership. We are owned by God. He indwells us and He is a deposit, so to speak, a guarantee of the sweet fellowship that will come in glory. He indwells us and enables us to serve God by granting us spiritual gifts. These are the things that come because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in all believers. Paul is assuming that in Ephesians chapter 5. But when he talks about that, here he's asking us for more. He says, don't just have the Spirit in residence. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, let's look at it again. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now picture this scene with me. Imagine that you go into a room, and this room is dimly lit. You know, it has one of those uh, dimmer switches on the walls for the lights. And somebody has gone to that dimmer switch, and they set the switch to romance setting. There's kind of like an orange glow about the room. It looks pretty. It looks kind of mysterious. In the low light, this really ordinary room looks pretty good. But 
as you go to that dimmer switch and you increase the light and it gets brighter and brighter in that room, you begin to notice some stuff about that room that's really not all that good. Things that you would miss in the dimness. You see that there are old newspapers crumpled up in a corner that you didn't see in the shadows. You see, there, you see that there's used coffee cups on the end table that were left there, dust on the arms of the chairs. You see a spot on the carpet and a stain on the wall, and behind the sofa there's a pile of laundry yet to be done. The light is revealing all of this stuff. Now, this is what happens in our lives when we allow the Holy Spirit to turn up the light of His presence, if you will, to do this work of filling and sanctification. The light gets brighter, and when the light gets brighter in us, we see the defects that were lost in the dimness. We see what needs to be changed and the things that we need to take care of that we weren't aware of before. Now, that's, that's what happens. And part of our minds are thinking, well, why would I want that? Why don't I just keep it dim, keep it on the down low? Everything looks good. If you're thinking that way right now, you're probably the kind of person who cleans your house at night. <laughs> if you do that, I'll clean it at night where I can't see any of the dirt. But in the light of day, the dirt shows up. The problem is when I'm talking about increasing the light of the Spirit to show these issues, these things are not just little untidy things. These are the remnants of the old life. This thing that needs to be cleaned is the cancer of sin, the habits that we used to cling to. And these are the things that will kill off our ability to live the way God intends us to live if we don't deal with it. So Paul is saying here, you got to deal with these things. Don't be controlled, he says, by the things that hide in the dark specifically those vestiges of your old life. He gives the example of drunkenness. Don't be controlled by that, but rather allow the light of the Spirit to be full blast in your life. Give Him access and control of all of who you are. Be filled. You see, we all start this Christian journey with sections of our lives closed off from the Spirit's influence. We all start like that Alka-Seltzer in the wrapper, not coming out and, and taking, uh, getting connected to what we need to be connected with. That's how we start. It may be clinging to some old sin from our old dead lifestyle, and we have convinced ourselves, I'm never going to be happy without this, so I have to hold on to it. It may be a life of apathy. Maybe we've said to ourselves, well, I'm in, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, that's all I care about. Or maybe total materialistic orientation to life. I'm just living for my comfort, for my acquisition. I just want to get enough stuff to look good. But to be what we call here at Quail, a passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, you need more and more of the light of the Spirit to turn on within. We need to be Spirit-filled believers. And Paul makes a stark contrast there in verse 18, doesn't he? He says, don't be drunk don't be under the influence of a substance. Rather, be under the influence of the Spirit. Let Him occupy and control you. Come to a place where your choices, your decisions, your priorities are guided by His choices, His decisions, His priorities. Because, in fact, we are filled by whatever controls us. If anger controls you, rage is filling your life. 
If we are filled with lust, then lust is controlling our life. If we're filled with greed, greed is controlling our life. These things become the operating systems that are always in power in the background of our lives. And we may not even notice it, but that's the way we're making decisions based on these controlling influences. Paul says that should be the Holy Spirit. That should be His control in your life. And when you, when you live that way, each day you are connected to the opportunities that God brings your way. So how does this hap happen? How does this filling occur? Interestingly enough, we find some hints embedded right here in the way that Paul expresses himself in this passage. First of all, in verse 18, he says, be filled in the imperative. In other words, that's a command. He's telling us to do this. And when he commands something under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we must be able to do something to make this happen. We can't be commanded to do something over which we have no power, we have no ability. Paul expects that you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, can do something about being filled with the Spirit. But there's something else about this command. It is a passive command. It's in the passive form. In other words, the filling of the Spirit is not something that is accomplished through your striving. You can't do enough religious stuff to get filled by the Spirit. It is something that is accomplished through surrender. Our part of the filling of the Spirit is to obey the command and to surrender to the Spirit's work because He wants to do this and to allow Him to do this. And this surrender is on purpose a choice that we are to make. Last week I had to think about the imagery of a sailboat, and I want to go back to that for a moment. No sailor ever imagines when they unfurl those sails and the sail catches the breeze and they're going down the ocean or lake or wherever they are, no sailor ever imagines standing in that boat that they are powering the boat. They know that it is the wind catching that sail that is powering that boat. But they have to do something to make that happen, don't they? If they just got on the boat and never opened up the sail, that boat would go no place. So in the same way, our part really in a sense of, of uh, desiring the Spirit's filling in our life, our part is to open up in a sense the sail of our life to catch the wind, the breeze of the Spirit, to, to, to tack, to, to adjust that sail so that we're exactly where the Spirit wants us to be so that He might mightily move us. We're not doing the powering, but we are enabling that to happen through our willingness. Be filled with the Spirit. It means to place the control of our life in the hands of the Spirit, to be open to His influence. So the command, the, the, this is a command, this is a passive command where we surrender to the Spirit's work, but there's one more thing, interesting, this is a plural command in the form of the, of the word. It's plural. It's not just for the spiritual elite, as we said, it's not just for special people, it is for all believers be filled with the Spirit. You is plural. Now in English, if you speak proper English, we don't have a you that sounds plural. Now, unless you're in the South. If you live in the South, 
you have a you that sounds plural, right? Y'all. Y'all be filled with the Spirit. In some parts of the South, it's like this. All y'all be filled by the Spirit, right? If you're in the Bronx, it's you guys be filled by the Spirit. See, bad English gets the point across. But here we have Paul writing good Greek. And the good Greek is plural. So it's a command. It's a, uh, it's a uh, passive command in passive form. It's a plural command. But there's one more section to this that we need to notice. And that is, it's a command in the present tense. Be filled right now. But it's more than that. Because, again, here's the, some of the, the wealth of the language. The present tense in the Greek language meant not only do it now, but continue to do it. Be continually being filled with the Spirit. All of these insights come simply from the grammar that we see in this verse. And this last piece, be continually filled with the Spirit, reminds us that, you see, we have a tendency to close off doors. We have a tendency, even as believers, to shut the Spirit out of certain parts of who we are. And we might open those doors in one moment, and then a couple days later, maybe we close them up again. It's something we have to continually think about. It means every morning when we get up, our first prayer should be, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. And I'm opening up all, I'm opening up all the doors so you can have your influence in me. That's your part. Orient your life so that the Spirit will enter, will, will take over all the parts. And what will it take for that to happen? Well, very obviously, it'll take first a craving. We need to crave the filling of the Spirit. There is a message that goes throughout all the Bible, and it is this. Don't waste your life on the trivial. Don't waste your life just kind of going from week to week, living your life without connecting to what God has for you. Crave all that God has for you. Connect your life to something that counts beyond just the passing of time. Connect your life to something significant, and that something significant should be what God is doing in, your wor in the world. Connect your life to what only God can do. I want the Spirit to take over because that's when I satisfy that craving. I want to see things that have no explanation except for the fact that the Spirit has shown up. I want lives to be changed that we never would expect would be changed, but the Spirit got a hold of that person and turned them completely around. Crave that in your own life, for your family's life. I crave that for the life of our church, for God to do the work. We need to desire it. Secondly, we need to cleanse ourselves so it will happen. Last week, we talked about putting off the old things from chapter 4 and putting on the new, 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 new uh, habits, new attitudes, new thoughts, the stuff of the world and temptation and sin we need to denounce and put aside because we, and we need to come to feel the way God feels about that stuff, those things that hide in the dark. The way he feels about that stuff is he hates it. He grieves over it. And he does so while we play with it. Because he knows what it's costing us. It's costing us opportunity to see him work in our life. We cleanse. We need to cleanse ourselves and be serious about living the life of the Lord Jesus Christ by his power, not our power, 
But cleanse me, Lord, so I don't cling to those things. There needs to be a craving, a cleansing, and then there needs simply to be a call. Pray that you be filled by the Holy Spirit. Call out to the Lord that the Spirit would fill your life. He will do it. Why? Because this is what He wants. He wants it for all His followers. See, believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. But the Holy Spirit might not have all of you, every part of you. He enters through the baptism of the Spirit. He indwells in His continuing presence. But the filling comes as you willingly give Him more and more of yourself. Open all the doors of your life to His influence. And there you will find the joyful Christian life that God wants you to have. Let's pray together. And in an attitude of prayer, would you simply take a moment and ask the Lord to show you what needs to be surrendered and given up so that you might be filled? And for those who want the adventure of the Spirit-filled life, in prayer right now, Ask Him to fill you up. Lord, we surrender the doors of our life. We surrender the areas that are still in the dark. We surrender every part of us and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us, that in your empowering presence you would overwhelm us, that we would see the opportunities to live for the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of the world. And Spirit, we pray that we would use our gifts to give you glory and to bless others. Have every part of us so that you may be glorified. In your name we pray, amen.